Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark. Two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you, so why not write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. And now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. Joe, I can't believe that it is officially October. Yeah, um, it comes up faster every year, but I will never, ever be sad that it's spooky season and it's here faster than we anticipated because this is this is always be my favorite time of year. The good old fall chill, all the horror movies on TV that are edited so they can be on TV, and then the fact that I just have a plethora of my own library that I'll play throughout the year, but it just feels extra special this time of year. Oh yeah, it's definitely sweatshirt mm-hmm. and chill weather. You know, I'm, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. I am a big fan of of having all of the shape masking clothing on. It's all about comfort <laughs> in the fall. Oh, completely. <laughs> I mean, I, I was definitely mowing my lawn today in flannel and a vest. So you know it's officially fall in Wisconsin when you're doing outdoor work in flannels and vests. I was going to say, it's officially Han Solo season when the high boots and the vests come out. So you, you're definitely <laughs> closer to it than I am. But hello, everybody. Welcome back to Digital Dissection. And I can't believe it is the wow, the second year of us doing spooky content as we yeah. get, you know, get ever closer to All Hallows Eve. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what, Joe? I don't think we have to reserve you know the spooky content for just this month. But this month... Is definitely going to be a fun one. And mm-hmm. we're kicking it off with a, a very recent property, one of the most recent ones we've covered on this program. Yeah, yeah. So last season, uh, I think if you remember where we basically did spooky season and did it by monster, where I think we did zombies and vampires and werewolves, uh, we aren't going quite as themey uh, this year. We are keeping it to spooky stuff. Uh, but we are sticking with zombies this time, uh, this time around, to kick off the the spooky mood. And when you say recent, this is like, I think very recent because this is a 2019 was season one uh, of this one, and it is a Netflix original uh, and a Korean drama called Kingdom. The official classification for the show, very similar to how it's always sunny in Philadelphia, is classified. It's a very long one. <laughs> This is classified as a South Korean political period horror thriller streaming television series. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that is definitely its own tiny, tiny corner of the market. But they pack a lot into that corner because oh, this is a fantastic show. And maybe it was just since like 2016, uh, South Korea is just a gem of zombie properties because after Train to Busan and oh, then God. we get Kingdom and which is two seasons and two movies um all of which are brilliant like this is some of the if you if you just love zombie movies this is some of the best stuff you're gonna see yeah korea especially also had we are all dead which is also a netflix uh, Mm -hmm. original series and where it kind of spins the the whole zombie outbreak into like a high school and dealing with the the fallout oh it's it's a wonderful series man Mm -hmm. so the Korean market has absolutely given us some amazing properties in the last few years. But as you mentioned, 2019 feels recent, but Mm -hmm. I feel like I have aged a lot in the last three years, man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's basically, we have the pre-plague world and the post-plague world and this, you know, kind of odd that a show about a plague is in the pre-plague time. Uh, so yeah, it seems like a lot has happened because a lot definitely has since the <laughs> first episode of Kingdom aired. It it is. It's and and that's what's really interesting about this series that it did kind of come out right towards the beginning of the the COVID epidemic, pandemic, we mm-hmm. want to call it. 
And when my daughter was born, she was born right at the beginning of of COVID. So I started off my my earliest COVID days by being at home with my daughter and watching Kingdom. <laughs> it just didn't... <laughs> wait, wait to set the theme. Wait to set the mood. <laughs> it, was, it was the weirdest thing. Like she was just a little lob cells, you know, bouncing around and like flopping and requiring feeding and all that stuff. And in between, it was like, yep, I'm going to go back to watching my period era zombie movie <laughs> show thing. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, you know, I will I will say this, though. For those of you who haven't watched Kingdom yet, uh, for one, that is a mistake. Correct it immediately. But mm-hmm. two, we are going to discuss some very spoilerific and important things about this series. So if you do not want to have it spoiled, please. Listen to it after you've watched. This yeah, I just—I mean, yep. Uh, just just press pause now. Go watch the entire series. Come back immediately when done, and yeah. finish this podcast. Do nothing in between all that. You yes. literally have to watch about twelve hours worth of zombies, and then come back and, and listen to us or watch us. However you choose to hang out. I was going to say this is your opportunity. So we're going to kick it right off though. Now, here's the cool thing about this show. Whenever we we talk about properties, it's it's amazing how shows like Squid Game, for example, mm-hmm. this was a property that got denied by multiple studios, right? And it sat on the shelf for something like 15 years, right? Yeah, well, I think that was I think that was the story behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Kingdom is a little bit different in that it started off as a manga slash you know webtoon. I think is the official classification of it. And mm-hmm. so it's not like it was shelved for a while. It was a it was a very popular, you know, I think weekly or maybe even daily uh, strip. So people knew about it, and it had a fan base kind of built in, right? Like it was mm-hmm. it was definitely popular. And so this idea for Kingdom was actually being developed, I think, for the better part of maybe like eleven years, actually, like 10, 11 years before it even hits uh, Netflix. Mm-hmm. So uh, Kim Yoon-hee, who is the uh, creator of Kingdom, she was working on this idea, I'm pretty sure, for the better part of like 10 years. So that to me is like going that much prep and that much time put into something. I feel very, very confident (laughs) about the abilities. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, like how when we had done our episode on Akira and you looked at how much time was put into the manga and set like actually developing the story before they even started making the anime. And it's kind of the same, like same idea here is that you had uh, kingdom of God, which I believe was the name of the web comic. What was going on was the develop for development for quite a while before we got the series. And I think from what I remember of kingdom of God, like it actually kind of leaves things at a cliffhanger where the series actually kind of is more, of a set ending for the for the storyline yeah the kingdom of the gods series was a little bit different too because while it still involves the same historical period for korea right it's it's the same Mm -hmm. setting basically the journey of its main characters is quite a bit different and so we, we, we can start there i mean in the comic you still have like the crown prince of this you know, Korean province mm-hmm. slash country, whatever. And he is, he's journeying across the entire country with a mysterious traveler, right? Like he's a, uh, technically a diseased traveler and no one quite knows what the disease is. It's very mysterious. So the comic kind of goes through that. Like that's a lot of the time in between is getting from a to B, mm-hmm. but the, the series itself, well, it still focuses on, this crown prince of, of this nation, right? Yeah. It's done quite a bit differently, much more like game of Thrones, right? From a, from an intrigue standpoint, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because instead of the mystery of the traveler with the crown prince, and by the way, the crown prince, not to be confused with friend of the podcast, Matt Yonke, (laughs) who will always be the crown prince to us here. But in this like you said, it's it's much more political intrigue, that Game of Thrones-like feel, because we start off the series with kind of a very, not, not cryptic, but like terrifying shot of the, the emperor of the time. And he is kind of rumored to possibly either be dead or just really, really sick. Uh, so he's 
kind of like a much more serious version of the old guy at the start of Monty Python, the Holy Grail. It's like, oh, oh. he's dead, but he might get better. No, he's he's not going to get better. He's yeah. quite bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. getting better. Better. Yeah. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> so we have our emperor who's definitely not getting better. No. And we are then quickly introduced to the crown prince, who we find out is his son illegitimately. So I think he was a son through. No, maybe, maybe, I mean, you know what? It might not be illegitimately because I don't know the structures of uh, 16th century Korean uh, hey. relationships. Yeah. So it was through a concubine. But yes. that may have been an accepted concubine at the time. Well, so fortunately mm-hmm. for you, Joe, I just happen to know this detail, okay? And uh-huh. my my family, uh, for, for those that do listen to this program, know that my father has a military background of 30 years. And so we just happen to straddle history quite a bit. <laughs> now, I'm not going to say that, mm-hmm. that Eastern politics and, and history is like my strong point. But what you're saying is true, okay? Now the emperor slash king of this nation would have been able to have multiple wives, right? Now, mm-hmm. you mentioned a concubine, which would represent the non-royal side of the marriage, right? There we go. Mm-hmm. Yep. So the, the, these are the women that he technically you know, has relations with. Uh, and hey, I'm not judging, whatever. Mm-mm. So this is one of the wives that got pregnant who wasn't the queen. This would have been one of the people that gave him a shoulder to cry and it became much more. <laughs> so, <laughs> Which, of course, upsets the actual queen because it turns out, well, at the start of the series, she is pregnant and is hoping to get the crown prince out of the way so that her child can be the true emperor of, of Korea at the time. So we have this established of this power struggle between the queen and the crown prince. And then, meanwhile, elsewhere, things are brewing in Korea. They are. And before we get into that, though, there's a couple details I want to put out there for folks that are not quite sure how to make of things yet. So, as you've mentioned, there is this this conflict between the royal house, so the emperor and the crown prince, and then the queen who represents the Heiwan Cho clan which is one of the most, you know, think of, think the Lannisters of South Korea. Okay. <laughs> that, that's who the Heiwan Cho clan represents. They're very powerful, very influential, very rich. And so they have a vested interest in trying to secure the throne and taking it away from the crown prince. Right. So that's, that's part of the setup here. But what I would like to do for a quick second, Joe, mm-hmm. how much about Korean and Japanese history are you aware of from the late 1500s? The best way I can actually sum this up is actually from like, I think a TikTok that I saw where it's how you can tell when you have a Chinese woman and a Korean woman in a club, and then you'll know that they're Chinese and Korean because they'll see a Japanese woman walk in and instantly hate, hate the Japanese woman. uh, Because that's the country's history with each other is that, the basically continental portion of Asia really doesn't like Japan uh, because Japan had basically this, this like 200 year period where they, where it fought itself as the feudal area, feudal era. And then they decided, well, we have now come as a whole, we shall go out and fight the others. So (laughs) (laughs) that's, (laughs) that's a very overly simplified version of what happened. So you have basically Korea and China more or less always trying to keep Japan out of the continent and from getting any foothold uh, military-wise or trade-wise. Which is honestly not that far off from what's going on at this point in human history, especially on this side of the world. Uh, you're actually true on or correct on a lot of that. So at this point in time, this series takes place during what we'll call the shadows of the Imjin War, which specifically refers to the conflict between the Japanese and Korean forces at this point in time. So the actual war itself took place from like 1592 until 1598. So right near the end of that century. And it wasn't a a war the entire time. 
So there was some initial fighting that occurred during the early portion of that period. There is like you know, a, a truce right in the middle. And of course, they were like, surprise, motherfucker, we're coming back. Yeah. <laughs> so the, 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 the engagement continued all the way until the end of 1598. And what's interesting about this war, there are some parallels to like the American Revolutionary War and that the Koreans were very successful because they attacked the Japanese supply lines and their ability to bring resources into the country. So that's why this war was yeah. essentially, you know, ended. It was guerrilla warfare. So mm -hmm. it was like, man, like 150 years later, like, did we, did we find a book, like a, a game, <laughs> <laughs> like mm -hmm. in-game footage? <laughs> yeah, it turns out that the Union's Anaconda plan was completely stolen uh, from really old South Korean <laughs> warfare. If you if you read on it, if you check it out, I don't know if there's any history buffs that listen to us. I think there may be a few. <laughs> if you do, it's it's actually a really interesting mm -hmm. thing. Like they cut off supply chain and it forced the Japanese to withdraw. So interesting, uh, interesting bit of period of history to focus on because it really does set up this series from a tone standpoint. Now, Joe, for, as far as the tone of Kingdom goes, like what are your first impressions after you've watched maybe like the first 20, 30 minutes of the show? Well, are we talking like tone isn't like, cinema, like cinematography or just like a feeling from the characters and the atmosphere that they're in? Let's just start off with atmosphere, not not even okay. characters, like just, just pure atmosphere. Uh, I would say adult historical angst. There's just a lot of, a lot of like, it feels like just baggage being carried by every single character in this show as a result of what they're doing before we see anything happening on camera. Uh, so obviously, like we said, with the queen and her family and the crown prince and he, him being born of half not noble blood. And then even when getting into the other characters, you basically see all of them as we start to introduce them one by one by year, all of them have something eating away at them slightly that they're slowly trying to like find ways to like reclaim their lives from. So it's a lot of like them dealing with some sort of fallout. Yeah. That, that idea that I mentioned earlier, that shadow of war mm -hmm. that really carries into quite a few things here. Now, we talked a little bit about the first impressions of just like cinematography. It, it's like there's this constant haze mm -hmm. that carries across this show. And it's it's a combination of, I would say, weariness. But then also, like you mentioned, it kind of like angst. There's a lot of this uneasiness. There's a lot of unrest. You know, there yeah. it's these people have suffered through war. They suffered through famine. And, and there's a lot of secrets that it seems like you mentioned everybody has, whether mm -hmm. it's, whether it's the government, we talked about the Heiwei Cho clan, whether it's, it's just the people that run the provinces. We, we kind of get a, a feel of the governments of each of these, you know, smaller provinces. Mm -hmm. It's like everybody is concealing something from somebody else. Yeah. And then you, 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 you package it up in like this PG 13 escalating as they like to call it, where it's just lots of, lots of shadows, lots of hard lighting um, mixed in with an attempt of like natural lighting from the area. So making it look like it's just the light that you're getting from the sun or candlelight yeah. uh, or torchlight. So it's got this on top of, you know, just like you said, living in the fog of war, it's just kind of got this darker tone like to the entire thing, even like during the day, like when the sun is out, it still somehow seems foggy and <laughs> like dim. If, if forlorn was like taken into a concept and then physically manifested everything about this show is forlorn, right? I mean, the, the people inside the buildings, they're always, even if they're not in, <laughs> in front of royalty, it's always like they're looking down from each other, you know, like, yeah. I, I I feel like I can't be personal with anyone. I mean, the the relationships between the characters in this show, it even feels 
arm's length, right? And, and, and for a mm-hmm. few exceptions, but for the most part, we've got the Crown Prince Lee Chang that we've mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. You can tell just how much pain this guy is in because he is estranged from his father, who, as we've mentioned, the the Heiwan Cho clan has basically cut off the emperor from the entire nation. Nobody knows what's going on with him, mm-hmm. including his own son. Mm-hmm. And and you just see it. I mean, th- now this is something that I think that, that Zhu Ji-hun did an, an amazing job with. So he's he's obviously Li Chang. The look on his face, even in the promotional materials for this show, he constantly looks like reluctant, doesn't he? Yeah, I was thinking either reluctant or in pain to some degree. Like not like ag- not like agonizing. Like he has like something sharp stabbing through him. Conflicted. But like he, yeah, he's conflicted. He's going through something mentally, and that's what promotionally like footage, promotional like footage looks like. And basically every episode of this guy until you get closer to the end here because if he if it's not like him feeling estranged from his family eventually it gets to the point where he's trying to show that he is he's more than all of the other government officials who we've seen uh on screen so far yeah he he really starts off his journey as you can tell he's not close to the rest of like the uh, the the royal inner circle, right? The the advisors and all these people, and it, naturally this is because of uh, Cho Hak Ju, who is the the father of the queen, and mm-hmm. he's he's one of the head members of the Hei Wan Cho clan, right? Like he's he's one of the key players that managed to get his way, you know, into one of the top roles in the entire nation, and so. That that's kind of what you're up against. Like Li Cheng is obviously the good guy. Like he's yeah. he's your, he's your boy, right? He's the guy mm-hmm. that you're focusing on. But the the quote unquote bad players in this scenario here, they are very clear to establish them. I think before mm-hmm. even Li Cheng, like he obviously you get to know a lot more about him as the series goes on. But they are very clear to focus on the political intrigue long before we see our first zombie. Very right? true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I thought that was a really cool decision to do that. I mean, what, what did you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think what's great about the show is part of it. Like, again, like the zombies are many times like secondary. And while they are kind of like this outright terror, they're not the biggest threat to the entire story. And I just like it when that when the monsters are actually more people or more of the people instead of the actual monsters themselves. I think it's great storytelling. So when you like again, like the zombies are just scary at surface level because like they're running around, they're screaming, they're biting, they're spreading a plague, and that's one thing. But then when you see like the queen's father, like by the time like he is definitely like intimidating. But then when even you hit like episode five of the first season, like he is just flat out scary. Like, like, fuck, holy shit. The power that this guy has, like on top of him just being, you know, a very assertive individual. So there's, of course, like the physical power and then the political power that he has is terrifying. And I like it when when we can I don't want to see him ever like some sort of like weird, like monster groupie where I always feel bad for the monster in every movie, because I think that's unless the monster is written to be like that way, like, like Frankenstein's monster. He's like, it's supposed to be a victim of, of, of its, of its society to a point. Um, But I do like it when you can turn things on a head like that, where it's like, Oh, the monsters are bad, but compared to this asshole, the monsters aren't nearly as scary. And I like it when things can do that and do that well. Yeah. But, the the thing is with with the zombies, Zeds, whatever you want to call them, monsters. I think monsters are a really good term for this one because yep. man, and I think that's what they call them in the show. They, they call do. them monsters. Yeah, they do. Uh, the the thing that I thought was really cool about the the monsters though is that they root it in this historical fiction. Mm-hmm. So we we talked a little bit here about the Imjin War, right? They actually had an explanation within the show as to how the Koreans won. Yeah. 
and it had nothing to do with what we just mentioned. No. So, <laughs> uh, so the, the kingdom at this point, I believe, is referred to as uh, Joseon. That's that's mm-hmm. like that's that's what this current like state is is called is Joseon or the the uh, cr- the current version of Korea as most people know it, right? Like that's that's mm-hmm. modern Korea. So they actually explained how the, the Koreans won the conflict, and it was with the help of a a rather peculiar peculiar I can't even pronounce it peculiar <laughs> purple flower, little purple mm-hmm. flower. Now, Joe, what can you tell us about the resurrection plant? What do you remember about that? I mean, it is somewhere between Little Shop of Horrors and Zombie Toilet of the Damned. Yeah. <laughs> not not quite that bad. So um, no. I am I'm in the middle of my re- I'm in the middle of rewatching season one right now. By in the middle, I'm almost done with it. So I'm trying to get a little like, less foggy with season two. They really explain the flower a lot more. You can't just drop. Mm-hmm a reference to zombie ass toilet <laughs> of the dead and not explain it because if, if folks, mm-hmm. if you've never seen zombie ass toilet of the dead for one, it's not a great movie, but it does no. involve, it does involve tapeworms, which, which oddly <laughs> enough has something to do with mm-hmm. the resurrection plant, Joe. Yep. And so the resurrection plant, what they actually found out was that in the Northern regions of, of Joseon or the, the modern uh, Korea, as we know it, Mm-hmm. This this flower mysteriously began growing within the region, and they don't quite know. We, or at least we don't quite know. I think they're going to explain mm-hmm. this in season three, and and some of the ongoing properties are making. But this flower begins to appear, and what they've learned about it is that it can resurrect people from the dead. Obviously, not as we know them, mm-hmm. but it has the ability to bring people back to life. So naturally people knew about this because they used dead villagers during the engine conflict and they gave them the resurrection flowers, which then used to fight back the Japanese forces. So it was like, for me, I was watching this Mm -hmm. knowing a little bit about this conflict and going, that's fucking crazy. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it fits so damn well like if you're yeah if, if you're thinking about how they've mentioned some of these provinces within korea at the time and how mm-hmm. the odds were so famously stacked, stacked against, against them, them yeah yeah it's like that mm-hmm. fits like a glove to explain this mm-hmm. yeah it's i mean it's like one of those like stories like like, like you know like um the 300 spartans like sort of deal where like there's no way they should have been put up the fight that they did and they managed to do it and it's kind of fun to just be able to take that history where it has like seemingly impossible odds and therefore you give it a possible, like, an, I'm sorry, you give it an impossible explanation as to how it was pulled off. Seriously, it's, it's, it's cool because once again, this is one of those secrets that it feels like the show expertly built into it. Now, mm-hmm. the, the engine conflict and using the, the monsters to fight back the Japanese is something that even the people of that province seem to be really torn over having to to do. And now I, I'm not sure if you remember uh, specifically An Yun, the uh, the mentor mm-hmm. to the crown prince that you end up meeting fairly early in the series. He's as he's trying to travel and navigate the plague as as it's, as it's mm-hmm. kind of stretching across the country. We end up meeting An Yun, who is this. He's an older magistrate of of one of the provinces, right? Yeah. And he's 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 like yeah. dressed in like all white, isn't he? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's got yeah. a bat he's got badass facial hair. Like he's mm-hmm. he's the dude if there's like a big fight breaking out, he's not moving. He's just standing there with his arms behind his back and you're like, "What what is what is that? Is, what is he doing? What he's going to do yeah, something is awesome, he, isn't he? Why yeah. is he so calm in the middle of all this?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, "Okay, keep your eye on that guy. He's going somewhere, you know." Mm-hmm. And and everybody looks at him that way too. Like they're all like going like oh my it's like, oh my god is that Ching? That's, that's 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 Lee Ching's <laughs> oh, mentor. That's dude. That's motherfucking on Yoon right there. <laughs> and everybody knows him. Well, it's because mm-hmm. of the fact that he helped lead that engagement, and so him and his his leadership bear the secret of what had to happen in order to win. But to everybody else, they're just like that guy's legendary. You know, he he's mm-hmm. a war hero, and. And you don't know this going in, right? Like you don't know this right away. Mm. So it was really cool to see how that unfolds because 
as we've kind of talked about a couple times here now, you have compounded secrets, right? Like Lee Chang learned a lot from An Yun, more than even mm-hmm. his dad, as he was raised, you know, in military tactics and all that stuff. So even Lee Chang doesn't know this. And so it's really cool, man. Cause because that this at this point in time in the in the show, I know we kind of mm-hmm. moved fairly fast here, but yeah, that's the whole point of watching the show is to not listen to mm-hmm. us talk about it, to go watch it yourself. Yeah. And at this point in time, the plague is breaking out across the entire country. Mm-hmm. And so people are looking for answers. Naturally, they're trying to figure it out. Like, how do we how do we fight this back? How do we do this? And so why I wanted to focus on this relationship between An Yun and, and Li Chang is because this causes some mistrust between student and mentor even. Because Li Chang is like going, why did An Yun not tell me about some of these things? And is he actually working for, you know, the, the Heiwan Cho clan? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah. like it, and it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful twist, by the way. Like it, it kind of comes out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I'm even trying to like to equate that relationship to something where you, you find out that like, I don't want to say like the don't meet your hero thing, but it's almost as though like um, I guess like you think Batman Begins, where like Bruce Wayne learns that Rachel Gould's not a great person <laughs> after he taught him so much. But I mean that also happens like relatively quickly that he finds that out. Whereas you get this where you had uh, someone who the Crown Prince like beloved and looked up to his entire life, and then suddenly he realizes he's not who he thinks he is anymore. So it just, again, it, you go from having this great admiration from when you first, the characters first see each other in the series to then just immediate, like, I don't know what to do with this anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's that beautiful, like compounded impact here, right? Because mm-hmm. these, these people think they can trust each other because of the, the amount of time they spend together, you mm-hmm. know, obviously before this conflict began. But it's like the worst possible time for this stuff to come out is when you're facing hordes of the undead, right? You're trying to save mm-hmm. like city after city of people, right? Like the, the crown prince kind of puts his his his, uh, his cape on here and he's like, yep, get on my back. I'll carry mm-hmm. you because he's trying to save his people. Like he's, yeah. he's, he's losing that inner conflict where it's like, I haven't been fighting for anybody for the last 20 years and suddenly I have mm-hmm. to. So he yeah. figures out a lot about himself throughout this, but that makes this that much harder. Cause it's like, what, what do I even believe now? And mm-hmm. I've got the undead coming after me. I mean, I don't know how I would <laughs> compartmentalize that. No, it's, it's, it's a tough like amount of things to handle. And it's also like part of what makes even that whole idea interesting of him actually having something to fight for because he's now out trying to protect the people who like you would expect, like if you, if you are, someone living this time period, you are hoping that like your government officials, the people who you're paying your taxes to are actually going to protect you against these things. And so far you've seen that basically fail with every government leader um, in the series so far, because like we see the outbreak slowly kind of go through a few areas in season one. And we Mm -hmm. are seeing the government officials basically um, completely living in luxury where you've got the people living under them are all in poverty. And then when things start to go wrong, they're like shoving the peasants in front of the zombies and hoping they get eaten instead of like themselves, the peasants get eaten instead of themselves. And, or they're just kind of running and fleeing. And one of them even becomes kind of like a member of our show party. Uh, and I think that's uh, <laughs> Chobam Paul, who is yes, yes. the nephew of the uncle who is fathered the queen. <laughs> yes. So he is, this character I think is, I always like watching characters who actually grow quite a bit through a series. Yeah. And so we see this guy who, when we first, even when we first meet him, it's at his like little inauguration party of him being appointed governor of this, of this province yeah. uh, that we're, we're now in the part of the series. And you can tell like, he is completely uneasy and he's like, I'm not qualified for this job. And I'm not sure why I'm getting it. Uh, and <laughs> full yep. on, full on nepotism. Completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not about it's not about what you can do. It's about who you know, 
And yes, and, and Chopin Paul is a a combination of things. Like he's he's obviously in the shadow of his uncle, mm-hmm. you know, the chief state counselor. He also does have a a sense of just ignorance about him that you kind of mentioned. The mm-hmm. haplessness. He's almost comedic. It's almost comedy relief at, yeah. after a point, right? Because mm-hmm. here, okay, here's one thing. His his storyline interacts really closely with Sabi, the the nurse that we get introduced mm-hmm. to. Right? She's taking care of this this fairly small town of survivors that they don't have enough food to eat. She's just mending to the sick, right? Mm-hmm. And she was the understudy of the physician for the emperor. So her story comes into play because she's trying to track down what did my mentor do with the emperor that caused all these rumors to start spilling out? Yeah. You know, she's trying to uncover mm-hmm. that. So yeah, her in, in Chab Mompal, they, they interact quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And the reason why I wanted to point at the, the <laughs> comedy relief is because she sends him out to go grab herbs for the sick. Do you remember this scene when he brings back this, this bag of herbs? <laughs> it's all weeds. <laughs> she, she goes, this is very impressive. And he like looks at her and he's all proud of himself. And yeah, she goes, it's impressive that everything you brought back was weeds. Because <laughs> that's a, even, I feel like that, like they have a few of those moments. Cause the first time he's like, just trying to talk to her and he's kind of, romantically smitten at this time like yeah, he doesn't know yeah. what to quite do and yeah. she's pointing out uh basically she's like oh what's wrong why can't you talk i've noticed you have this going on this too i think you have gonorrhea based off of how you're acting right now but don't worry it's treatable if it's early <laughs> and he's just like no 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 oh no she thinks i have a <laughs> she she thinks i have some sort of sexually transmitted disease yes. and he just He's just nervous. And that's all, all it is. And it is a rare thing to see in this show to have moments like that because they, they they don't overuse them. You know, mm-hmm. that, that's what kind of takes you out of some of these other these horror survival movies and shows. Yeah. They, they never quite nail the balance between Mm-mm. what should be believable humor versus yeah. just inserting something, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think they do this quite well, especially – with Sabi's, you know, story because mm-hmm. she's the one trying to figure out what is happening to cause this, and she's one of the rare people that gets to see it up close. Mm-hmm. Because if you remember, there's there's that kind of weird. He calls himself a tiger hunter, Young Shin. If you remember, mm-hmm. I do. He's like a sword rifle master and uh, has a sick ponytail, as a lot of these guys do. <laughs> But that's that's why she see she sees this mm-hmm. thing up close because Young Shin feeds a dead kid to this village that she's mm-hmm. taking care of, and it it was just oh, sorry was I'm cold. getting like yeah it's <sighs> it, it's it's difficult because like I think I think the line um, from the web comic is that. Uh, something along the lines of there weren't even bugs left to eat. Like things had yeah. gotten that bad around the air where they had, they had nothing. So they literally started cooking dead people to, to try and get by. And you can tell that other people had done this across the nation. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, and yeah. that's once again, calling back to just how truly split this nation is mm-hmm. because you get to see, what life is like for the rich, the privileged, all those folks, right? Mm-hmm. One thing this show does particularly well in kind of separating the imagery of that is whenever you see the folks that truly didn't have resources, whenever you watch them eat, they make sure to really zoom in and it's never it's never elegant table manners. No, no, it's not. <laughs> this is this is definitely like um, like I remember growing up, like being a relatively slow eater until <laughs> one day or for a series of days, uh, when my brother had one of his friends over and this boy, I don't think ever ate at home. Uh, and it's not to say like he came from necessarily like a, like a, like an impoverished family. 
I just don't think he ever chose to eat at, eat at home because yeah. he just always ate our food really fast to the point where my dad had to actually put food aside for work the next morning because he always had leftovers. But and normally you could do that at the end of the meal, but he had to start doing it before. And it got to the point where whenever Pete was over, like you had to eat faster, you didn't eat at all. And so all of the lower class citizens in the show seem like they have Pete over at all times. It's, you just had to get through the food and you had to get through it fast. And and it, it's the plight that they really build here because mm-hmm. as we've mentioned, this is trying to balance how split this nation really is at this point in time. You know, the, the, these people don't even have rice to mm-hmm. eat, you know? Uh, no. And so when they suddenly see this, this pot full of, you know, hot meat, like just staring them in the face, mm-hmm. they, they eat it like they haven't eaten in weeks, which is probably true. And so yeah. it's, it's terrifying because they're already eating in a way that is kind of like the uh, tomato eating scene in the Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings <laughs> that, that everybody, <laughs> if, if anybody's a Lord of the Rings fan knows what I'm, what I'm talking yep. about here. You know, yep. You know exactly what it is. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Like, like mm-hmm. when you're seeing those tomatoes, just get a burst. It's disgusting, whatever. Anyway, that's yeah. that's what this feels like. And so what makes mm-hmm. it crazy is when they eat this dead kid, they eat so fast, they like instantly turn into zombies, all of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's even like something that I want to get into the actual zombies here for Rick. So we've done a lot about the, like, the, the historic part, the political part. And I feel like I think it may be time to actually talk about the fact that this is indeed a, a zombie-based show. Yeah. Um, so getting into the monsters a little bit, it is always fun to like see like how different properties will handle like zombies. And you either get like these slow-moving, mindless things, or you get these rabid runners. Um, and there's always this idea over there's usually some in the group who got bit, and they're the asshole who didn't tell anyone they got bit, and they turn at a very inconvenient slash convenient time for wherever the plot needs for for the movie or the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking at how they actually handle zombies in this, it is one, I think just great that the fact that they've, they've chosen like an older time period to have their zombies in because then we miss a lot or we, we don't get a lot of the same zombie tropes that we get from when like society inevitably crumbles because this, the plague spreads so fast and like you can't deal with it and people are turning on each other and like the people are the worst part of it. And that's not necessarily the case here because society is very different at this time. It's very spread out. We don't have the instant communication. So it takes a while for like the word of this thing to spread. And when that does happen, we don't get like the instant, like the government just collapses and things are turned over because like we said before, the government here is very controlling and it gets to the point where like they're actually the thing to be afraid of more than the zombies and the zombies in this are interesting because they, they played off or they, the way they set them up is that you had the people who got sick turned really quick. Uh, mm-hmm. and that first time, the first time we see zombies and then the next batch of them that were to be, that were going to be turning like, weren't going to turn until like the sun went down. And that's part of, I know that's also part of like foreshadowing of showing that like they don't, they're not really active during the daylight and it's during at night. They, they tend to be up and going a lot more, but when they turn at night, like they are like instant boom zombies. And these things are definitely the faster running zombies. Oh, uh, you don't get the slow, slow moving staggering things that eventually just catch up to you. Yeah, we don't get no shambles. There's no shambles mm-hmm. in this show. No, they're they're all <laughs> they're all track runners. These guys and and the yep. thing is, I, I love whoever directed the the zombie runners because we you you don't end up getting any of these like stylized zombies that you get in The Walking Dead mm-hmm. who are you know hustling, shaking almost. They're they're, they're it's almost mm-hmm. like a dance. Well, yeah, these zombies are they're so primordial and and they're so rough that they're mm-hmm. literally just brainstem pushing things around. Yep. And so when they run at you, you'll see this in all of the imagery. Their arms are like flailing behind them because the front of their body is pushing them forward and their mm-hmm. limbs are just flying behind them in Naruto style. 
You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's really terrifying to watch mm-hmm. the first time because their mouths are open and they're just running as fast mm-hmm. as they physically can. It is, it is hard to watch at first. It is. <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's, I think it's just brilliant to show again, the, like, like the zombies are just completely consumed by the hunger to like eat and consume everything. So like you have this idea that they're literally being led by their mouths as fast as they can go towards anything they can eat. Yeah, and it it really ramps up the imagery that we talked about. When you watch people mm-hmm. who are like they haven't eaten in weeks and suddenly they have food, the parallel is made that they're very similar to how the undead are eating people. It's mm-hmm. it, it's it's gut-wrenching. And so that that's something I, I didn't want to get too far away from, but at the same time, I did want to revisit what you mentioned with this zombie lore. Mm-hmm. Be, it, be, it is it is really unique because you're you're dead on with the fact that information travels you know a lot slower, mm-hmm. and that's not really enough though. It's the fact that every time someone does bring it up at a new place, the government doesn't believe anybody. Yep. Right. Like the the leaders mm-hmm. don't believe anything. It's like oh you're just making that up, or mm-hmm. no it can't be that bad. Right. Yeah. It's just smallpox. We'll, we'll get through it. It'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and that's kind of how it goes. It's, it's almost this, this idea that we always talk about how we've loved zombie properties that help you mm-hmm. see what society is like and then show it break down. This is that idea, but just set in, in, you know, mm-hmm. late 1500s, early 1600s, Korea. And yeah. And that balance I thought was really, really cool. I think it was really smart too, because mm-hmm. it's it's believable for a zombie property. Like this mm-hmm. is very believable given what we what we know and, and what these folks know. Yeah. And you see, like again, like when you say like society crumbles, it is this this idea that those who have power, and if they start to see it going away, like they cling to it for dear life because even early on when you've got the crown prince and his bodyguard are trying to get, uh, I believe like a small chunk of people into, I think like a, what they think is like an abandoned, like military barracks. Yeah. It turns out it's not abandoned at all. Like the military there is just hiding and staying quiet and hoping that no one bothers to come into the barracks so they can have the place all to themselves. Um, and then they think they violently resist the crown prince and the people as they try and get in too. Uh, and that's just, again, like what we see even like the government officials who try fleeing and, you know, even our boy, the didn't nearly, didn't really want to be governor, but it was a good job. So he took it. Chow Bum Paul. Um, there are times where we see him do that same thing, where even when it seems like he grows a spine and he's going to stick to what he's doing and he's going to stick with the crown prince. Next thing you know, he's setting sail with a bunch of other government officials who have a ship full of food and money. But it's very true, though, what you what you said. I mean, the 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 difference between government or whatever you want to call it, uh, high ranking officials and the people, that separation continues throughout this entire series for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it just kind of tells you what the the. the you know, frame of mind must have been. You talked about it earlier how the the magistrates and the government they're pushing the people into zombies and stuff. But they also say this this whenever the crown prince he specifically says to them, get your best fighters, get your mm-hmm. weapons. We need to be prepared for this. And the first thing the the government and the nobles they always say, I, I don't take hand to sword. I don't do this stuff. No, no he's not no. talking about me, right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, you, yeah, you. Yeah, like mm-hmm. what? what? No, no, you, me? no, no, no. And so that that stuff is is I think it's really helps table set, right? It, it really helps mm-hmm. immerse you in what's truly going on here, and I think it makes sense, you know, because historical dramas, Joe. How many of them have you watched? Just off the top of your head, um, I got through some of um. Downton Abbey, but more than I'm proud of, but less than I would, I think most have gotten through. So I think that's, that's as, as far as historical drama I've gotten to. Well, but even then, I mean, I, I maybe, mm-hmm. I maybe not even think that that truncated, like if you think about 300, for example, as, as a film, mm-hmm. technically considered historical drama, right? True. 
Mm-hmm. But there's so much stupid stylized shit that happens in that movie. Oh yeah, right? I mean the whole thing. <laughs> I was gonna say, mm-hmm. and, I, and that's not to say I hate Three Hundred by any means. No, mm-hmm. but it's it's the idea that you took something historical and you made it ridiculous. Yep. As opposed to focusing on the historical struggles of this country at this point in time, and making your fictional story fit the history. Mm-hmm. as opposed to the other way around. Yeah. And I think that's what this this series does so incredibly well. I completely agree. And like 300, as I mean, fun movie for its time. I, I think I still enjoy it. It's, it's, it's a very visceral thing. Like you said, very, very stylized. And there is style to this too. Like we, we mentioned, like the cinematography is like kind of gritty and there's this fog of war. But it's stylized in that they're taking history and making it into like its own art form, as opposed to applying an art form to history, like we've seen before. And I think that's that's just one of the many strengths of this series. And the fact that again, like other than like Pride, Prejudice, and Zombies, like how many times do we get like this older society dealing with more of a modern monster? Yes. Um, Mm-hmm. And it's it's just it's a fun take that we get that because usually like when we get old stuff it's always like vampires and werewolves, and yeah. while those are they're they're classic classic monsters and they're fun and we love watching their movies, uh, it was just great to get something happening in these ancient times but with a different monster. Yeah, I completely agree. I really do because I I really do think that when I had to suspend my disbelief right for for aspects mm-hmm. of this show obviously zombies are one of those things that most people just kind of go yeah okay zombies don't really exist whatever but yeah. it was the it was the setup that got us there that mm-hmm. really helps keep us in this for as long as we do you know like you yeah you, you get so much of this this background and this story that makes sense to you mm-hmm. and then when you kind of just fit zombies in there as the the aggressor it just everything else makes sense yeah so so for me mm-hmm. i thought it was one of those one of those mysteries of this series that i thought worked incredibly well is not just mm-hmm. how zombies behave but it's it's how these characters learn so much about them because it, think about modern zombie movies half the time it's about survival it's not about mm-hmm. what the zombies are doing sometimes you get the the scientific angle like in the day of the dead Mm-hmm. series and all that kind of stuff but even then it's it's like laughable science right oh yeah mm-hmm. that's <laughs> so. i mean even on that like i i mean if you try and ever like go to a movie in hopes that it's gonna get the science right one it probably isn't because if it does it's probably not gonna be terribly entertaining it's probably gonna be really boring because you just find out the movie wouldn't work <laughs> like yeah. it's yeah. it's not gonna work at all like i mean granted, like interstellar is a really good job until it, you, it turns out a black hole is a library. Um, but before that was doing really well. And that's part of like the, like the art form that they're doing with it. But like what it goes for me when it comes to movies and science is that if a movie establishes a science and it sticks to it, I'm yeah. fine with it. It's when, like if they say like, because this happened, because we observe this, therefore this happens. And as long as it sticks that for the movie, it's fine. Even if the actual science would be terrible because I mean things that should be entertaining would just be ruined. But granted, like even like Ant-Man, like one, because Ant-Man does try and get the whole science part of it, right? Where like, yeah, he shrunk down to a tiny ant size, but he still has all the same mass. Therefore he is even more dense. So if he were to punch someone when he's tiny, it still feels like he's big, like you're being punched by like, you know, five foot 10 Paul Rudd or how, how tall Paul Rudd is. Um, handsome, adorable, possibly shorter than I'm giving credit for. Um, but then you'll see him like, you know, ride an ant. Like, no, he should squish the ant as soon as he sits on it. (laughs) Or when he's running along the gun, the gun should go down because it's the weight of an entire human being. And then some, because it's more dense. Oh, no, no, that's some, but it's, it's, you know, it's at his point, like 175 pounds on one tiny spot, just going down. So Like it tries to, it's like, oh, it's getting the science right, but really it's not getting the science right. So that's more annoying to me than like something like this, because it does try and explain how the zombies work. 
And the way it does it works for the movie. It works for the show. They have this idea that it's it's the flower, but it turns out there's something more than the flower, and they're trying to figure it out as it goes along. And then they reveal what it is. And it's like, you know what? It's actually kind of close to um, if you've ever like played Last of Us, where it's like yes. a fungus that like turns something into a zombie. It's close to that, but a little different. And I don't, I don't want to reveal exactly what it is because, yeah. I mean, you know it's, it has to do with the flower. This is like a fungus turning things into zombies, different things of life, but I digress. They establish what is causing it. There's still a mystery behind it, and they find out what it is. Like, okay, that's not terribly far-fetched based off of what you've established in the show. Real life would never happen, but based off of what you're doing in the show, it works. So it's great. It's believable for what you want. It's it's believable enough for you to suspend what you're supposed to suspend for belief. And that's what one of the many parts that makes the show great. I totally agree. And it reinforces the point of how not everybody can get the same information at the same time, mm-hmm. because as that news travels about how to combat the zombies and how to deal with them, it really builds some in- incredible tension that I don't want to rob people of. Mm-mm. So compared to things like the MCU and like the six mm-hmm. episode format that you see in, in some of the MCU, I think what they could really do here is learn from this series because each season is six episodes. You mentioned the, mm-hmm. the quote unquote movie, it's like a 90 minute episode that came out that is kind of a prequel, mm-hmm. but the, the episodes of this, I think are really well manufactured because there's never one episode where they hit you with too many revelations or mm-hmm. you get way too much exposition or something in one episode. Mm-hmm. It's a really well-balanced presentation. And I don't want to call it purely cliffhanger because I never really mm-hmm. feel like it's cliffhanger. I feel like it's, it's like preparing to get punched in the face. <laughs> right mm-hmm. like does that, does yeah. that make sense like you, you, some yeah. of the these episodes are like that right mm-hmm. it's i feel like the one of the like, like being pretty punched in the face the way i think it builds well with like you know like it's it's six episodes and this is stuff we've talked about before on the podcast um like bringing up like what Kristen kruik has said before um she doesn't necessarily like it when a series draws out to 10 plus seasons, because sometimes if there's no clear like idea for the stories, like starting any point to like actually align, you're just, you know, you're stretching it and you can like the audience can tell you're stretching it because the story's not there anymore. So when you have the idea that this season is going to be six episodes, so we're going to make sure we get this chunk of the story told well in those six episodes is something that this does very well. And the way it does it is think of like almost like Home Alone. You like, you get one foot into the house finally after like having, you know, slipping on ice, having, uh, you're touching a doorknob that's burning hot. You finally get into the house and as soon as you put your feet down thinking you've gotten one step further in, there are a bunch of broken glass ornaments that you just stepped on and you have to figure out what you're going to do to find that little kid who's setting these traps for you so you can, you can take care of the silver tuna Um, because that's what the series is. It's like, it gives you one little bit of hope and then it just kind of socks you right in the gut as you find out something new as they build onto the story. Yeah. Which is a, I really, I'm really happy you mentioned that because this is a show that doesn't overuse the flashback, right? Like they're, think about think about every every major property you've seen it feels like uh like orange is the new black syndrome you know, the, mm-hmm. the like orange is the new black just kind of drops you into the shit and then every five minutes it's like you're getting a flashback right yeah mm-hmm. this this show doesn't do that it it's it, it really uses the modern timeline quite well it doesn't have to be lazy in that you get 20 minutes to go forward and then you mm-hmm. get three minutes of way too much information told way too fast. Yep. And and it detaches you from it, right? Mm-hmm. So I think this show doesn't just do zombie lore really well. It also does character progression incredibly well. And so by the by the time you do get to these 
these moments of gut punch at the end or close to the end of an episode or something mm -hmm. that that payoff is, is truly much more personal than i think it would be you know compared to like i said those flashback heavy types of shows so yeah yeah mm -hmm. i think so and i some shows like I like when I think flashbacks, I just make me think of like Arrow and how like the first two seasons were absolute gold. It's some of the best TV, especially like best. I, I think honestly, best superhero TV that's been made so far has been the first two seasons of Arrow and how they have this idea that Oliver Queen's been gone for five years. And so the idea is that what he's doing in his current mission um, in, in, in the city is always tied back into what he'd done on this island he was stranded on for five years. And it works very well for the first few seasons. And then after that, it's kind of like, well, you did what you set out to do, and now we just have more seasons, and you just keep kind of peppering in more flashbacks, kind of oddly, and they just feel yeah. out of place. And there are so many other shows that just do that, where it's almost like a... Kind of like a kind of like a cop out to explain how a character would know how to do something. Yeah. Um, it's not quite as bad as Wonder Woman. Hey, this is something my dad showed me this one time. Now the plane's invisible. That's kind of the worst way to do something. Um, yeah. But the flashback is like basically number two on that, where it's like, huh, this reminds me of that one time flashback. Oh yeah, I can do that. Don't worry about it. It's like, well, yeah. I suppose why not? There was always that. Everyone's always had that one time that now makes sense why they had to go through it and we can, we can get through what we're going through in our lives right now. But if you use that too much, eh, it's just not interesting anymore. I think we just ruined flashbacks for a lot of people that, we did. <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that, that watch a show because now it, I can't ever look back at a show and go, wow, did, did they actually know what they were planning to do here? No, they didn't. Mm -hmm. So now we got a flashback no. to explain everything that's in front of us. Mm -hmm. And so, once again, carefully crafted show. Mm -hmm. The fact that it's been in development for so long, I, I think that really just tells you the strength of the idea itself and, and how well it's executed, how well it can be put on mm -hmm. screen. Because, yeah, this is probably one of the best properties that involves zombies that I've ever watched. Joe, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, um, I plan on rewatching this series I mean, I think probably like every year around this time, just because one, it's very digestible, like to do that with where if you just need that quick itch of like, yeah, I feel like a horror movie or I feel like a horror series. Again, it's six episodes. You can put on an episode like even like every other day and you'll still have like the entire month of October. You're going to have the series done. You'll, you'll have it. You'll have it taken care of. Uh, or if like, you know, it's cold Saturday, cold weekend. You just want to yeah. cuddle up and watch some horror. Like you can throw Kingdom on and you can binge it in a quick sitting. By a quick sitting, it's still a six hour sitting. You'll have you'll have season one done. But I mean, it's just because like the story is told so well, like you feel like you can just sit for six hours and watch the whole thing. So yeah, I would completely agree. And it's like I said, it's digestible. The cinematography is is top notch for a Netflix show too. Um, granted, like Netflix, like shows are getting better every year. They they they're mm -hmm. in business, but this is just one of those things where I think it's a staple for Netflix, for especially Netflix horror. Um, so yeah, absolutely. All right, yeah. I mean, I mm -hmm. so it, it's become annual viewing for me as well. Ever since I mm -hmm. I found out about it, <laughs> ever since I watched it, and mm -hmm. it, it and yeah, because it is it is a an extremely well made show. And one last thing I want to mention about this before we, mm -hmm. we head off for the evening. Yes. This this show doesn't ever seem to hit a point mm -hmm. where The Walking Dead has. E even in the best seasons of The Walking Dead, you will get one or two episodes, maybe even three, mm -hmm. sometimes in a row, where you're going, where is this? Where am I heading right now? Right? Like, I, I yeah. when, when you have shows that are that long, when you have shows that exist for that long a period of time, mm -hmm. there's always that stylized or stylistic interpretation episode where you're like, yeah, somebody thought this was a good idea. It just did not it work. It didn't work. No. Well, <laughs> I even like Walking Dead, like I haven't watched Walking Dead forever, but yeah, those were, I mean, what, hour long, 45 minute episodes and they were 22 episodes a season? 
Uh, no, it was 10. It was 10. 10 first. episodes. Okay, yeah, even yeah. 10. Like, I would think 10 should be digestible, too. Because, yeah, like, a lot of, like, other network shows are, like, 22 episodes. It's like, fucking hell. Like, that's a lot of time to try and tell a good story with. Like, it's too much time where it, you're, you're dragging things out. And so, yeah, Walking Dead's even doing that with 10. So yeah. this is, again, like, I guess, again, really good thing that you're you're wrapping up a season in six episodes. And what we've got season three in the works after our movie that we yes, had with we Action do. of the North. All right. We do. So there is more time for Kingdom. However, there is not more time for this podcast, this episode. So in closing, we'd just like to thank you again for listening to Digital Dissection. And as always, we appreciate all the Dissection crew does for us week after week. And your support really does go a long way. So if you happen to read just by accident today, um, you can always drop us a review or a comment uh, wherever you, you know, get your podcasts from. So you can also, you know, email us because we still check that every once in a while at digitalsectionpodcast at gmail.com. Share us your favorite zombie movies or heck, any any horror movies at this point you want to watch or you like watching. What's What's the horror movie you come back to every year, if not multiple? So give us those movies any ideas you have for future shows we would happily be able to discuss any of that with you and until next time keep on dissecting and mark oh, it, just yeah. had a flashback and now i remember why i don't use hamster style anymore oh i can still yeah. smell that newspaper 